Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBersier. And if you want to support the show, check out our merch store over on Etsy at etsy.com shop slash beyond blathers. And we also wanted to say thank you so much to all the amazing listeners who purchased things during our holiday sale. We were so overwhelmed with the support and it just means so much to us that all our stickers and sunfish ornaments and stuff are going to such great homes. So yeah, thank you so much for your support. And if you bought anything, like please send us pictures and leave us a review. But yeah, we love you guys. Yeah, so this week we're so excited to share an interview Sophia did with Susie from the wonderful Casual Birder podcast to talk about seagulls, which isn't something you can find in the museum, but you can find Gulliver on your beach. Unfortunately, I couldn't be there for this interview, so you'll be hearing Sophia host this episode. Yeah, I had so much fun talking to Susie for this episode, although definitely missed Olivia. But Susie's so knowledgeable about birds and birding in general. I learned a lot about kind of what to look for in birds. And it just, it inspired me, someone who's not really into birding. So I hope it will inspire you. But yeah, I love listening to her casual birder podcast. On some of the episodes, she takes the listener along with her as she goes birding. And I just find it so calming. And she has such a beautiful British accent and all the bird calls. It's it's really nice. Yeah, I highly recommend it either if you love to bird yourself or you've considered doing it at some point in your life. You'll learn it's like very easy to do. You just go out and look at birds and have a great time. So I highly recommend that show for all your, your birding requirements. Yeah, totally. And I thought it would be cool to do the seagull because we did the goldfish last week and that Felt like one of those animals that I see all the time but know nothing about. And I think seagulls are really the same. Like I live in Vancouver in Canada and I definitely see seagulls every day. Like they're as common as squirrels here. But I realized that I don't actually know anything about them. And then I was talking to some birders too. And like Susie brought this up as well in our interview that they're actually kind of one of the hardest birds to identify like to tell them apart and they're actually really like interesting from a birding perspective so yeah I I learned a lot about that and I think I'm going to be looking at them with a much more curious eye from now on yeah I am not good at identifying gulls it's very difficult but like yeah I really love the way Susie talks about sort of these sort of common kind of ignored animals and like how to have an appreciation for them because that's sort of the whole point of this podcast is to give attention to like those weird bugs and things that no one really looks at normally so yeah totally so without further ado here's the interview and we hope you enjoy Hi, Sophia. Thanks so much for inviting me on. I absolutely love Animal Crossing and I love birds. And so being able to talk about both is just brilliant. Uh, My show is called The Casual Birder intentionally because I'm not an expert. And I'll preface that because, you know, hopefully the things I will say today will be factually correct when it's not just my experience of, of the birds I've seen. But I see my show as a way to learn about 
more about birds along with the people listening. And the real crux of my show is to help people find enjoyment in seeing the wild birds around us. And you might not know everything about the birds you're seeing, but just taking time to watch and listen to them, watch their behaviours and notice them. So many people have said to me that they didn't realise how many birds were around until they, until they started listening to the show. And now they're noticing them everywhere, you know, at the bus stop, on walking their dog. And they just had taken them for granted. You sort of see them and dismiss them. But if you start to notice them, you notice the amazing variety that we have of these wild animals all around us. And um, yeah, I've, I've actually learned quite a lot about gulls in finding out uh, information for the show in talking about Gulliver and gulls in general. That's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to get into it. And yeah, I guess we should talk about that kind of before we get into it, that this is kind of a special episode because we're not talking about one of the critters that you can find in the museum, but we're actually talking about, I guess, Gulliver and who he is. And that does mean, unfortunately, that I don't have anything to say from Blathers, but I think Susie will be able to fill in some of the gaps for us there and yeah, I know, Susie, we were kind of talking about how seagulls might not be the best name for this episode. And that was surprising to me because I I just assumed that Gulliver was a seagull. And he is. I I looked in to see what, what kind of gull he might be. I looked at his features and I'll, I'll come on to that in a second. Uh, but on the seagull front, I think it's okay to call things seagulls. Now, when I first started my show, because I'm not an expert, I wanted to make sure everything was at absolutely accurate. And I had read various articles that had said, you know, it's terrible that people say seagulls. They really ought to say, you know, it's a gull and it's a herring gull or a black-backed gull or something. And, you know, it just it just shows a lack of knowledge to call them seagulls. But actually, And I, I sort of took that path and said, no, no, they're not seagulls. They're a t- particular type of gull. But actually, as the time has gone on and I've, I've realised and read there's another school of thought that says it's it's great to learn about the the different species that's that's wonderful but for the general public who just want to start to get engaged it can be really off-putting to feel that there's kind of like a particular way you've got to speak and you're not allowed to say seagulls so i i think that it's okay to say seagulls and i think the general general listener will probably think of these gulls as seagulls why that's not perfectly correct when you're talking about individual birds is some gulls actually don't live at sea. They they live inland more. And there's different, you know, they have different features. But honestly, I think we should relax a little bit and say, you know, if people want to call them seagulls, that's fine. What would be really interesting is if they take some time to look at the gulls that they see and notice that there are different types and that they act in different ways and that they do different things. They have different plumages. And that just gives a little bit more depth to what you're seeing. The other thing, um, of course, with Gulliver, you mentioned about critters in the museum. Well, of course, he's a critter that we find on the beach. And um, if you've played any of the earlier Animal Crossing games, you may have got quite irate with Gulliver trying to (laughs) shoot him down when he was in his UFO that you could never quite get to to get him to land on the beach um, or to get him to land in your town. And uh, the fact that he just washes up on the beach now is, is brilliant. I meant to write down some of the quotes that he comes out with because when you first come across him, he's passed out. 
whether he's passed out through, you know, having crashed or through something he's drunk or eaten, we don't know. But he comes out with these amazing little things like, you know, oh, mom, don't wake me up yet. Leave me a bit longer. And you have to sort of like, try and wake him up a bit more. Or or he talks about cookies that he's licking to get raisins out or all sorts of things. And um, he, he does make me laugh. Um, and the other thing is that there's a kind of alter ego of Gulliver called Gulliver. I can't quite do it. In a pirate voice, Gulliver. <laughs> <laughs> and you can get different types of um, items from him when you help help find the parts for his uh, communicator. So you'll get pirate items. So, you know, whereas in the past, I wanted to get the items, but it was just every time I heard that UFO, like this is because I used to play from, I can't remember if that was New Leaf or might have been New Leaf or Wild, well, no, I think it was Wild World uh, was when I first started playing. And yeah, hearing the UFO coming and thinking, oh, it's the, it's the, it's Gulliver, but I'm never going to be able to shoot it down. And then after a while you start thinking, oh, please don't make, I'm never going to get it. So why even bother? But at least now you can actually try and, and get the parts and it's, they've made it much, much easier now. It's not so infuriating. So it's okay to see Gulliver. Um <laughs> And the other thing I was going to say was that in the media, they talk about seagulls quite a lot. And it's generally from a, a not very positive standpoint. So that's another aspect that when people talk about seagulls, they're often thinking in terms of quite a negative thing. So I think that might be another reason why seagull is a is not a term that people people who are more expert at birding would, would use. But in the in the way of like trying to make it accessible for everyone you know if you want to call it seagull that's absolutely fine yeah that's interesting because I think living in Vancouver like I actually grew up in Horseshoe Bay here if anyone knows Vancouver and it's by the ferry terminal and it's kind of like a fish and chips capital of Vancouver kind of place and just growing up like seeing seagulls just harassing people for fries, or I guess you would say chips, I got a really bad impression of them. Like, especially because they're also kind of big. And I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah they are big. They're like, they're like coming up to little kids trying to fight them for their fries. And I guess I always had that impression of them. But it's also interesting what you said about, you know, not all gulls are seagulls that are living by the sea. And I always wondered about that too, because I lived in Edmonton for a while and I would always see gulls there too. And I was like, what are they doing here? Like, are they hanging out in the river and are they eating fries here too? Like, I was just kind of if they confused. can get them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think the thing is, you know, gulls are really adaptable birds, and part of part of it is that you know we have taken over coasts, coastlines for us as humans are extremely desirable places to live, and so there's lots and lots of coastal development, and so we have encroached on their their land you know where they where they nest where they where they bring up their young and they are so adaptable that they've moved into towns moved into sort of more human habitation the other thing is that they are very opportunistic and they will look for food wherever they can and if there is free easy food that they can get hold of that doesn't mean they have to work too hard and saves them energy they're going to go for it and you you know, waving your chip around or waving a burger around in a place where they've learned that, and especially as, you know, we're, we're quite messy creatures. So very often you'll see, you know, food dropped, not put away in bins properly or, or garbage pails 
properly. So they've learned that people have food. And so, you know, it's not surprising that they won't necessarily, and some people will feed them. And, and, you know, very often in the towns where gulls are a problem now, you're just not allowed to feed and you can be fined for feeding them. But yeah, they will come and, and if you don't offer them the food, they will try and take it. And, you know, herring gulls, which are the main um, sort of culprit in the UK, and I think you have herring gulls in the West Coast as well, they've got a five foot wingspan. A bird that big. That, I mean, actually, that's as tall as me. So if you imagine me laying down, <laughs> you know, it's pretty, pretty hard to think that that is a bird that, you know, when you see them perched on um, fence posts or whatever, and if they open their wings and you're nearby, you really, really see how big they are. And that's really intimidating. And they've got a very strong bill as well, which they use for breaking over open shellfish. So, yeah, you really wouldn't want to be on the wrong wrong end of that. And it is unfortunate that... They've got this reputation of being bullies and and grabbing food from you, but you know they they see opportunity. They'll they'll go for it. Yeah. So the herring gull is that what Gulliver seems to be? Do you know I I was looking at the Cornell Labs uh, Birds of the World, which is a fantastic resource, and um, it shows you all the different uh, species because you know if you've got your own bird book from your own area. They'll tell you about what birds are there, but it doesn't really give you a global feel. So I do like that to to look at that and get more of a global view. And I was trying to think, okay, let me think, what what are the features of Gulliver and what bird would that be most like? So Gulliver's mostly white. He's got black tips to the wings and a very black tip to the tail, but it's just like the very edge of the tail. So it's not like a black tail. He's very white on top and his wings are white. And uh, he's got a really, really strong bill. I mean, it almost looks like a bald eagle type bill because it's so big and strong. He's got a yellow bill with a black tip and yellow legs. So that's that's kind of what Gulliver looks like. And, you know, yes, it's a stylized gull. It's not it's not based on a particular one. But I I had a look to see are there any gulls that it, it kind of looks like. Now, a lot of gulls, well, most gulls, in fact, I think there's only one or two that are very white, but like Glaucus gull, uh, an Iceland gull. But the majority of gulls have got some sort of silver grey in their wings. They've got white bodies, very, very pure white heads and and belly or breast. But this is when they're adults. Oh, And I'll come on to that about plumages in a little while because, oh boy, does that make it difficult to tell gulls apart. But they, they go through a cycle of plumages from being young to being adult. When that adult, it's much easier to tell. But if you see a, a gull that's not in its adult plumage, it, it can be quite difficult. But yeah, generally, they are very white below and differing shades of grey above. So herring gulls are kind of like a silver grey. The largest gull in the world is the great black-backed gull. And that's found, I think that's only found in the Atlantic. I think it will be found on some east coast of America areas but it's mainly you know uh eastern atlantic so europe uk iceland probably greenland um but it's a northern atlantic bird but it is a really large gull and that has got extremely dark wings and back so when it flies it's very very dark on the top but very pale underneath because it's white underneath the adult birds have yellow bills most gulls have yellow bills in the Laris um, species. There's 22 species in the Laris um, 
in the Lara species. That's right, isn't it? Like family? Maybe? Well, family is the Laridae, and that includes things like terns and skimmers and skewers. So that's the much wider thing. Mm. And then from, because this... Oh, genus. This always stru- yes. This and always species. Exactly, yes. <laughs> oh, oh, is it genus and then species? Right, thank you. Yeah. So the genus is Laris. Thank you. <laughs> I always get this wrong. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> we, we're missing Olivia right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Laris is the genus. That's right. So in these 22 species, Laris would always be the first word of the scientific name. And then, right. and then you would have the second part, which would be the species name. So, for example, um, herring gull, which we spoke about earlier, that's Larus argentatus. And I think that argentatus will be to do with the silver. I think argent is the silver, so it's the silvery grey. Oh, there's the California gull as well, which is similar to the herring gull, but has yellow legs. And that's uh, Larus californicus. There's the western gull. Lara occidentalis, which is a slightly darker gull. And I mentioned also the great black-backed gull, which is Larus marinus, and that's the one with the really big bill. So I was looking at all of these and trying to think, okay, well, first of all, we want yellow legs because that's what Gulliver has. Uh, We want a really hefty bill, which the Pacific, I think it's the Pacific gull, has the really hefty bill, and that has yellow legs as well, but that has dark wings. So it, it, it's got the bill and the legs, but dark wings. So I think they might have taken the bill and the legs from the Pacific gull. But there's also a black-tailed gull, and that's found in Japan and areas around there. And because the game originated there, I wouldn't be surprised if the creators of the characters had you know, taken animals that they were familiar with well, as we know, with um, Nook and things like that. So yeah. with the black-tailed gull, that actually does have black in the tail, yellow legs. It has a bill that isn't massive, but it does have some black in it. But it's also got this red dot, which I was going to come back to, but I'll come back to that. And it has black on the wingtips, but it does have a silvery grey wing. So that's where it sort of differs from Gulliver. But I think there's kind of a mix there of the Pacific gull with a really hefty bill, the black-tailed gull with the black tail and the and the black edges to the wings, yellow legs, which we wanted to see because that's what Gulliver has. And um, I also think there's a real touch of herring gull there as well with with Gulliver. So I think I think what they've done is they've done a stylized gull. They've taken some great features to create to create the bird. Um so he's got a black tip to the end of his bill. And there aren't many gulls that have a black tip. There's the ring-billed gull that has black around it, but it's a ring rather than the tip. And most gulls have this red dot on the base mm-hmm. of the lower bill. Sorry, on the tip of it. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I always thought that that was ketchup because I would always see (laughs) the gulls taking the fries and I thought that they just all got ketchup on them. I remember that so vividly, but I would love to know what that actually is. That is perfect. I love that. I'm going to see that from now on. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that one of the features, I don't know why they have it apart from knowing that young chicks tap the yeah, the um red spot to be fed and it's that red spot uh, in from my psychology days years and years ago 
um, I remember that it was called a sign stimulus and that young chicks would tap anything that had like a red dot on it because they were born instinctively knowing that if they could tap that with their bills, it would encourage the adult to regurgitate. So even if it wasn't a, an adult bird's bill that they were tapping, they would tap it because that for them is this will give me food. So I don't know if it has any other function other than be there as a a thing for uh, the youngsters to, you know, encourage them to be fed. But that is something that that red dot provides. So if anyone knows better, please let us know because... <laughs> As I mentioned, the casual birder. But these are things I've kind of noticed and, and I'm learning about. Well, it's so it's so cool to hear you describe Gulliver in such a birding way. Like that reminds me so much of my dad when we're out, you know, on a walk. And I'm like, oh, what's that bird? Because I assume he knows all of them, but obviously he doesn't. And he'll be like, I'm not sure, but like memorize like the wing color, the the beak, the leg color, all of that. You know, he's like, let's memorize all of it and then we'll look it up when we get home. And I feel like that's what you did for Gulliver and I love it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I've I've kind of done that instinctively, like since I was very young, but I didn't do it in a very formal way. And then, you know, looking in bird books, it always tells you either at the front or the back, there'll be a diagram of a bird and it'll show you all the different parts of a bird. And I always kind of like skimmed over that because I thought, yeah, I know all that. And then during the summer, I took a bird ID course with Krista who has the birding tools podcast and it was um it was amazing I learned so much that I thought I already knew but it made me look at things in much more depth so understanding that you know all the birds have got slightly different features and so if you focus in on those elements you absolutely will be able to identify them okay there will still be some that are so similar almost like you need a DNA analysis to find the difference between them but on the whole there are feather groupings that it's really useful to learn because apart from anything else it's fascinating because once you learn the feather groupings you start looking for them on individual birds and you'll see that birds of totally different species have these similar groupings and it it really makes you see how similar birds are even though they look so different um, but things like yeah leg color uh, foot shape and we know that Gulliver has got uh, webbed feet because he's a gull and he would use those for wet locations. So it helps keep them uh, supported. And also it can be, I'm doing all the actions here, but it can help him swim in the water. You know, having webbed feet helps you move through the water. So foot shape, leg colour, the plumage colour and also elements of plumage. So, for example, some birds will have coverts or uh, feathers feather groupings on their back that cover almost the whole wing so you don't actually see the wing because they're under these long feathers on the back and birds like waders so birds you find on the shore things like sandpipers or curlews or godwits I mean I'm probably going off but these are like long-legged birds that will run into the waves and run away again or that you'll see them uh, sticking long bills into the sand trying to find creatures those birds have like these long coverts that that cover their wings but things like sparrows you can see the wings you can see all the shoulder um shoulder feathers you can see the long primaries the wing feathers that actually help them fly they're all visible and until you start looking closely you 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 just think yes it's a bird it's got feathers fine but if you <laughs> stop and just take some time to to look at them 
the amazing variety and and noticing that you know like we have a little bird called a dunnock which is a little bit like I'm going to say it looks a bit like a sparrow a house sparrow but it's not it's got a longer bill that's another key feature is looking at the bill because that gives you an idea about what they might eat so it's an insect eating bird so it's got a longer bill more sharp and it's mostly just gray and brown so a lot of people just overlook it it's a little gray or brown bird pops around near the bottom of shrubs fine but if you look at it the the gray and brown there's almost like blue tinges there and and the different parts of the head feathers how they're grouped it's just fascinating it's not a wonderful macaw parrot with that glorious colors but there's a real beauty in just looking at individual little birds and see and the lowly house sparrow which i'm sure many of us have, have seen around the world they're another one of those birds that you know, have been invasive, they've been introduced to a lot of places and they do very, very well. No matter that side of it, looking at their plumage, you know, that they differ, the males look different to the females. But looking at them, the females have got such gorgeous little faces. They're really cute and they've got these lovely little bits of caramelly buff colours in them. And, you know, you look at them and go, yeah, brown sparrow, that's it. But actually, you know, if you just take the time to stop and look, you see all these other parts of them. It's just really fascinating sorry I go off on one when I think about how wonderful birds are um, but yeah legs bill color plumage and looking for any particular patterns and behavior that's the that's the other way um, but yeah I really learned so much and now I look at birds in even more special ways than I did before as you can tell I'm quite a bird bore that's the reason I had the <laughs> podcast really it's because people in my life don't want to hear me talk about birds so it's just like I'll have the podcast I can talk about birds on that instead <laughs> yeah, I think it's such an important point to make about really, yeah, really paying attention to the animals that you see every day. And is there anything that you can share about gulls to get us excited about them? Like, is there any cool facts about them? Uh, there's a couple of cool facts. So, uh, for example, there are some species of gulls that will drop shellfish from a great height. So they will find shellfish, you know, mussels or or um, snail type um, shells on the beach fly up and just drop them onto stones from our great height to break the shell open so that they can just fly straight back down and grab them. Herring gulls eat starfish. I didn't know this until one of my previous guests, Dan Rouse, she uh, is absolutely enamoured with water birds and waterfowl and she was she gave me a, a really lovely insight into some of the work that she does with uh, conservation. And uh, But one, one thing she said was the gulls are so clever. What they've learned to do is when people are do, out doing surveys of starfish, so you'll go out to you know, try to understand how many you've got in an area and, you know, you go out with your quads and, and measure how many, how many starfish you've got in a particular area, count them. The gulls follow behind because the people are uncovering the starfish and they've learned this. So they will follow behind and then eat the starfish that they've just counted. It's like, no, but, you know, they eat starfish. Starfish is the food for them. And they found that if they walk behind humans that are counting them, and it's a little bit like uh, cattle egrets walking behind cows and um, bovine animals who kick up insects. And then the, the egrets can come in and, and grab the food. So it's just like, you know, the same sort of thing. They see you as a, and I guess that's where the chip thing comes in. If they've seen a few humans dropping chips, they know that 
hey, if I follow these humours, if I approach really closely, I will get these chips. And they've probably learned that, yes, they're big enough that they can intimidate. You'll just float, throw the chips on the ground. And the other thing that uh, gulls do, this is this is quite interesting. I, I hadn't really realised this before. I started to go whale watching. And one of the things they say to look for when you're whale watching, because it's really hard to see whales unless they're being very active on the surface, but if they're feeding, what that will do is bring in birds from miles around because birds look for activity amongst others of their kind to know if there's a good food source. And if whales are feeding under the surface and a bird spots this, they'll start you know, getting active and, and going down to the uh, water surface and grabbing whatever pieces they can. But the activity of doing that draws in other gulls from a, from a long way away. And so you will see a big group of gulls or you know well actually it's not just gulls it'll be a variety of birds but gulls especially and unfortunately that is one well I say unfortunately because if you're the one with the chips on the land and a couple (laughs) of chips fall and one gull sees it it's not going to be just one gull you're going to suddenly find that that one gull's actions of of flying down and probably calling to say yay I've got a chip that's just going to bring in so many other gulls so that's another reason to you know if you're going to eat chips out in the open Try and do it with your hood over you or something. Don't don't just merrily walk around with them because, you know, for them, it's a free food source. So, yeah, they're going to try. And, you know, having one goal come at you for a chip is one thing, but having, you know, five or six is quite intimidating. Yeah. But, yeah, so they, they look for others of their species to see what's happening and will, you know, congregate to take advantage of a food source. They're extremely strong flyers. And I, I don't know if you've ever seen them on the wing when it's windy, but they just, it's like they're just floating. And it, amazing, um, well, I was going to say skill. It's not necessarily skill. They're born that way. They have long, thin wings that can, they, they don't flap them as much as the smaller birds. The smaller birds, you know, you'll see they're very flappy. Sometimes they'll flap and, and glide a bit and flap again. But gulls can glide for long periods and and you know if it's a really windy day seeing them kind of just floating up and down in their groups as they battle through the wind that's just an amazing sight it's just a fantastic thing to see it's so iconic too like the image of seagulls and the call to like that it just well I mean sometimes you hear gold calls in Edmonton and you're it's like this weird experience where you're like you kind of it, it makes you feel like you're at the beach but you're definitely not but yeah, I always think when I hear that sound, it just feels like being in like California or Vancouver or something. It's funny how iconic it is because for me, hearing herring gulls, which is probably the similar kind of sound, makes me think of little Cornish villages where we had holidays when we were young. And um, even now, my husband loves to hear herring gulls. And as soon as, you know, if we happen to have one flying over our house, now we live in, you know, quite away from the coast, but there are some inland and every now and then you'll hear them and it's just like oh it's just like being at the beach and exactly that it brings up all those memories of as long as you've not been the one you know that has been unfortunately attacked by a girl um and they're not attacking you they just want your food it's not that they're doing it to be angry at you they just want the food but um but yeah those those and if you think of any pictures that you've seen of you know um paintings of coasts with boats and sea there's always one white gull in the you know because as you say they are a really iconic they're not usually laying on a beach 
groaning about, you know, don't you wake <laughs> me yet, mum. It's not time to get up, as Gulliver does. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's a really iconic, um, really iconic species. So we're very familiar with white gulls, very familiar with how they look as adults. But most gulls take four years to get to that state and they go through very specific plumage types. So when they're young, um, and I'm thinking of herring gulls in particular, but it, it applies to all of the birds in that um, genus. Um, they are very mottled brown and buff colours. And they also, when they're quite young and they're still begging for food, even though they're old enough to get their own food, you'll hear that they're quite whiny sounding. They're not they're not calling with an iconic, you know, laugh or almost that the gulls do. And then... Gradually, over the next few years, their plumage changes and each year when they molt, they will have a slightly more amount of white on them um, until they're almost adult. They will have, um, you know, a white head with speckled brown, but they'll still have brown in their wings. But because quite a few gulls go through these same changes, it can mean that when they're in that immature state, it's really hard to tell whether that's a herring gull or a western gull or, you know, one of the other gulls, unless there's something very... So things like the great black-backed gull, which we I mentioned was the largest gull, they have very dark bills and they have much darker plumage and, so it's, and they're bigger, so it's possible to tell them. But of the other gulls that are of similar sort of medium size, it's really, really hard to tell them apart. And I really really struggle with it I can't tell you that oh yes that's a herring gull and that's a whatever I just can't the only things I can tell apart are um black-headed gulls I don't know if you have those over there um but they have a very screechy again very communal kind of bird colo uh, in colonies um grouped together but very screechy almost like a tern now a tern isn't a gull but you will often see them at the coast and they are um white often with very long red bills and they've got very floaty floaty flight. Black-headed gulls, which we have in the UK, and I'm not quite sure if you have them there, as I say, they also sound like terns rather than they don't have the nice seaside sound that herring gulls have. So, you know, there are differences, but when you look at them and you see them flying around, especially if they're flying around in the groups, you can just think, yeah, gull. But, you know, next yeah. time you see a gull, just look at it and see if you can see any other features. What colour legs can you see? What kind of bill does it have? Does it have a does it have a long bill or does it have a a more sort of thick and um chunky bill with a red dot on it? You know, is it a yellow bill with a red dot? Um if it's got a long red bill, for example, and it and it's long and pointed, you're more likely looking at a turn than a gull. Have a look at the colour on the back. Is it like a, a, a white, silvery colour or is it more dark? Is it grey? Is it very dark? And what's it doing? Are they stealing chips or are they wandering around on the beach, turning things over, looking under seaweed, finding things to eat on the beach? Oh, and the other thing that they will do is they will eat anything that they can eat whole. They will just, you know, swallow down and they are big birds so they can take quite large things they will steal chicks from other birds if they can find chicks they will take chicks they will take small mammals and i believe they also take things like frogs and 
amphibians if they can find them and get them down. Um, but because they have large gullets, they can just swallow down. So they'll they'll eat a surprising amount of and you know a big pile of chips or a pie. You know they'll they'll take that as well. <laughs> Yeah, I think my favorite seagull I've ever seen was I was just going for a walk in Horseshoe Bay and I passed this car. It was like a truck and there was a seagull standing on the hood of the truck, this really jacked up truck, you know, and and it was eating uh, starfish and, you know, covering the hood in like bird poop. And it was just really funny. <laughs> Just as you said that about it being on the cars, thinking, ah, yes, that's the other thing that gulls are famous for is um, pooping. And, you know, unfortunately, so when I was young, we were at a lovely little Cornish village and we were with um, some neighbours that had come on holiday that were friends with my parents. And we'd all got a little pot of prawns. Uh, I, I guess you call them shrimp. I don't know if you call them prawns, but little pink. But they were out of the shells for us to eat, you know, cooked prawns. And we were all walking along, really enjoying this. And this gull just went over and pooped and it went straight in my neighbour's bowl oh. of prawns. <laughs> and she was so, so, so upset. I mean, we went and bought her another lot, but we as kids found it the most hilarious thing ever. And I've always remembered that, her shocked look. I mean, if it had happened to me, obviously there would have been tears and tantrums and all sorts, but it was fine. It happened to someone else. But yeah, unfortunately, you know, poop has to go somewhere and sometimes it will hit you i think there's a little saying that says if it hits you it's a lucky sign you know it's bringing you good luck that's yeah. one way to look at it i don't think you'd feel particularly lucky if it did hit you and what was the other thing let's see so they 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 do um i mentioned that they they nest in colonies and so they're very social birds in as much as living close together but they also will attack predators as a group as well so they're very that you know they've got that bond between them they would they will bring they don't like each other to be too close to each other but they will all bond together to fight off something else that's trying to approach so like a skewer or you know a, a predator like a fox or something um they will try or a person if you're walking too close to where they're nesting it's another thing but yeah so they they do work together that way i loved the the kind of call to action around like let's all take a minute to look more closely at gulls when we see them i'm i'm excited too and just just knowing that they're not all the same and what you said about like the plumage and kind of just being like oh yeah it's a, it's a gull like i'm not going <laughs> to bother um with trying to figure out what it is beyond that that's what my dad said as well about like some very expert birders that he knows are also just kind of like i i'm not going to bother with that no absolutely and i i've so I've just come back from Scotland. I know you mentioned that you lived in Scotland for a while. So we've just had a vacation in Scotland. And I was determined because of the time of year, we were most likely to see um, geese and gulls, you know, being they were coastal locations and they were things that we were most likely to see. Both of those things. I, I know some gulls. So I know my, you know, I know my black headed, uh, yeah, the black headed gull and a herring gull and great black backed, lesser black backed. And that's pretty much it. I'm sure I've left one out. I think there's five gulls that I know. But even then, if they're flying and they're like a little way off, I'm just like, it's a gull. I don't know what it is. So I, I was learning that, oh, common gull is the other one. And I've, although it's called common gull, they're not very common and I don't see them very often at all. And I didn't know how to tell that I was seeing common gulls and not herring gulls because apart from a slight size difference, when they're flying, it's a bit hard 
to tell one bigger than the other. And so what I learned while I was away, and this might apply to, you know, this is the sort of thing you might look for in your own gulls in the area. So for for me, the black-headed gulls, in the winter, their heads aren't black, they're white, uh, with a, and they have like a little black dot behind their ear or a dark spot behind their ear. But when they're flying, they've got quite sharp wings and they have um, silver-grey wings, but in the fore part of their wing, at the, at the front leading edge, they have a strip of white. So as they're coming towards you, you can see that they've got a strip of white before it goes to the um, silver grey of the wings. So you can tell, okay, it's in its winter plumage, so I can't see the black head, so I don't know what kind of gull it is, but I can see those parts of the wings, so I know that that's a black-headed gull. And then the common gull and herring gulls. Herring gulls have got black tips to their wings, but they've got white spots in amongst the black tips, so they're not like solid black. And I learned that common gulls have got like a white triangle in amongst the black so if you see spots in the black then it's a herring gull but if you see the triangle a white triangle in the black it's a common gull and that's kind of made me notice them a bit more because otherwise you do you just go okay I can see five gulls great and you know unless they're screaming and I can tell oh yeah that's a a black-headed gull or it's doing the herring gull sound I've got no idea but now I've like learned that little bit it's like an extra facet of being able to tell that obviously this is only in adult goals I'm still like if I see juveniles or immature goals I'm still like okay they're goals I'm not gonna try any further because I'll take photographs and maybe I'll be able to you know check it out later I never can because it's never good enough photographs but you know I'm always thinking I'll do that but yeah just just have a look if you're seeing white goals just have a look and see what features you can you can see and, you know, if you want to tell me about them, because I'd love to hear about the goals you're seeing wherever you are, you know, hit me up on Twitter and, and tell me because, uh, you know, I can learn from what you tell me. So that's all great. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to ask you just in general about birding as like I'm someone who totally hasn't gotten into it yet. My dad sort of has. I know Olivia has started getting into it. I think it just seems so intimidating. Like there's so many different types of birds out there. And like, if there are listeners out there who have kind of always wanted to get into birding or like they like looking at birds, but they don't really know their birds yet. Do you have any advice about getting into birding? Yeah. So uh, birding is just such a big, big subject. Okay. There are so many ways you can approach birding. You can take pleasure in seeing birds just by looking at them and not even identifying them. So don't feel that you have to know the specific name of each bird that you're looking at. You know, it's enough to say, oh, you know what, I've got a red bird that comes to my garden and it's got a crest and I really like seeing that. Or I've got a bird that has got speckles all over it and it kind of clings to the side of a tree. It might be a woodpecker, but, you know, in North America, it might be a flicker or something like that. So, you know, but don't worry about it. If you're just attracted by looking at them and listening to them, just take pleasure in that. Gradually, it will come. So I would always suggest if you're lucky enough to have a garden or if you've got a park that you go to frequently, just start looking at the first few birds you see because it's best to learn about a couple of species first. And then once you know those, you know, you've observed them and you feel like you you can spot them and hopefully you've, you've managed to identify them. But, you know, identifying them as a, you know, a name isn't that important unless you want to be able to tick them off a list and say oh I've seen x number of species in this place 
But, you know, limit yourself to sort of four or five species. So, you know, if there's like a medium-sized brown bird, there's a medium-sized red bird, there's a little tiny brown bird, and there's a really big black bird, just limit yourself to those and get to know them. Because once you've got those, as you then branch out to see other birds, like a little yellow bird with a black cap or whatever, you can think, well, okay, it's smaller than that brown bird that I know that might be a house sparrow, but it's Sorry, it's yeah, it's smaller than a house sparrow. So I'm going to, if I'm going to look it up, I'm going to look for something that's smaller than a house sparrow that's yellow with a black cap. And you may well find it's an American goldfinch, which is one that you might not have known. But then that's another bird that you can add to your your list. You might know an American robin, or in in the UK it might be a song thrush or something like that. Just get to know that sort of brown bird with a speckly front with maybe some reddish colours on it. Get to know those colours. And then if there's other birds that are similar, you can think, oh, yeah, it's a bit like that American robin, but it didn't have this or it had a it had a, a red patch around the neck or it was um, reddish coloured with a crest, you know, and then you can start to learn them that way. But don't because this is the thing we all do it. We all think I need to know all of the birds, but it's just overwhelming. And even now, I mean, I've, you know, been watching birds for well over 50 years. I'm still overwhelmed by them. And if I see a lot of birds together, I, I I, almost like close down and just think, I'll just look at these ones that are closest to me. I just don't want to know about the others because it's too much. But as you get familiar with these ones that you know, you can then use those as kind of like a, a guide species to then start to learn about others. And it might be that, you know, during the, the breeding pe- period when they're all singing, that can be overwhelming as well because you can hear them, but you can't always see them. And you just can hear this sort of chorus, this wonderful choir of birds singing, all doing their own thing and all singing at their own kind of frequencies. They can be heard by other birds, but then there's other birds that sort of layer above it. And it again, just enjoy the whole. Don't worry too much about trying to work out what birds that singing, what birds that singing, because that's too much. Just just take in the whole of the experience. And then gradually, as you get more and more familiar with it, you, you will learn the others. But there's no right way to do it. And although I've suggested ways of doing it, I'm not saying you can only do it that way. Another way you can do it is to look at YouTube. There are some great videos on YouTube that help you identify birds. And so if you've looked for, as we said earlier, some of the features of birds, take a look on some of the, the key sort of videos on there. Uh, in the UK... Um, the BTO, the British Trust for Ornithology, does some wonderful videos which pair birds that are similar to each other and they then talk through why it's one species and why it's the other species. And I found that incredibly helpful to be able to tell birds apart from watching those short videos. They're only like three or four minutes long. They're not they're not terribly long. And I know Cornell does videos and lots of um lots of stuff on their site as well. If you go to the Audubon Society as well, lots and lots of information there. So, um, yeah, it's nice to sort of dip your toe in and just, you know, if because these are wild animals all around us of amazing number of species that we can see. It's almost like watching a nature documentary, but it's just out there, just wherever you're walking. So, you know, take notice. That's amazing. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I, I feel like, too, it seems like there's so many communities of great birders who I know from my dad. I keep talking about my dad so much, but I feel like I... I really see it on Saturno where he lives like he has this kind of group of people that he can go do like the Christmas bird count with, which is coming up yes. so soon. And yeah, and kind of learn from other people and what they know. And 
and I and I, I imagine too if you're if you're traveling, which I know you do quite a bit, and look at birds, and you know if you're somewhere totally foreign to you and you wouldn't know the birds there, but there are people who know those birds as their local birds. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to connect with people who who know their local birds that's going to give you so much more enriching experience. But it's also okay to just go somewhere new and not know what you're seeing and just discover for yourself. One of my most favourite days, which I created an episode of, I actually recorded while I was in the garden. Um, I was lucky enough to be in Mexico two years ago now. It's two years ago now. Oh, time goes so quickly. <laughs> and uh, I, we, we'd hired a little, so we were staying a little vacation cottage and it had a mature garden around it. And it was an absolutely wonderful day. I went out from just before dawn and I ended up being there until dusk. I just didn't want to move from this this garden because there were bird baths in the garden and birds were coming in to bathe. And I was seeing these amazing birds, colours and types of birds that I just didn't recognise at all. But I was just appreciating what I was seeing. And some of them I was able to work out, some I wasn't. But I recorded it all. So if you're interested in hearing, and of course you can hear the birds calling and everything, take a listen to that episode, which you'll find on my website. But um, yeah, just, just going out there and just listening and looking and just seeing what you can find is just amazing. I've definitely had some pretty amazing sort of bird experiences. In I went to the Galapagos with my dad in high school. That was just like... The blue-footed boobies and albatross and stuff it was just wild. And Saturna is beautiful for bird watching too. Like, I don't know, do you have oyster catchers there? Yes. Now, do we have the same ones as you? Um, that's what I'm not so sure about. But um, yeah, so red bill, black head, yeah. white and black body. Oh, ours are like totally black. That's what I was going to ask you. I thought yeah. you might have black oyster catchers there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So ours are pied. Ours have got like a black and white on their body. Okay. But, but yeah, yeah, very, very red bill. Yeah. Like people say they look like a crow smoking a carrot, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and that is what it looks like to me. Like they're just such funny, funny looking birds. So yeah. But amazing because again, you know, their bill is that shape because they you know, probe soil with it. They, I think they must probe open shellfish as well. Hence the name oyster catcher. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing I was just thinking was it's okay if you are interested in birds to just be interested in a type of bird as well. So like for a long time, I just couldn't find anything interesting about geese. So if there were geese around, that's really my my passion is with um, woodland birds I love woodland birds I love seeing the little birds like nuthatches blue tits we have here chickadees that you have all those kind of little birds that really feeder birds birds that will be around woodland but will come to feeders I love that kind of bird because you feel like you can have a bit of a relationship in terms of you can see them more closely birds like gulls when they're in the general environment or eagles or you know, the geese or they're they're fascinating birds, but they're very often a long way off. And it's okay to just want to concentrate on just a type of bird. Don't feel like I don't really like gulls, so I'm not really interested. That's fine. That's okay. Not everyone's going to like everything, but you might really love chickadees or, you know, the little birds like that that come to feeders. And that's that's okay too. So, you know, whatever's right for you, but, you know, just, just open your eyes and look at them and listen to them and notice what they're up to and how they interact with each other, how they interact with their environment. There's just so much to learn and just so much to enjoy. And it's the mindfulness thing as well, just sitting and watching takes you out of yourself and just appreciates the you know the world around you 
That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Susie. Thanks for joining me to talk about birds. And yeah, I'm so excited for everyone to be inspired by this episode and by your podcast. And one other thing that I just wanted to say as well, that, you know, just to show how birdy I am, I called my island, uh, my town paradise in Animal Crossing. And uh, my character, apart from me, who's Susie B, and I've always featured in every single one of my villages I've always been me um, but all my secondary characters because I always have to create secondary so I can have those extra houses in paradise they're all named after birds and we're all the birds of paradise so oh. I have Oriole, Jay and Raven and they've each got their own characters and they are my other my other uh, characters my alter egos in Animal Crossing that's so, so cute <laughs> so that's another Animal Crossing fact honestly get me talking about Animal Crossing or birds or podcasts and I just don't shut up Perfect. <laughs> yeah, if you'd like to uh, listen to my show, I have a couple of different types of episodes. So some of them, as Sophia said earlier, are ones where I actually take you out birding with me. And there's one coming out very shortly that's uh, just me in a garden in southern England. And it, we were staying on a away for a weekend and it was a gorgeous little country garden and it had birds that I don't get in my own garden. So that's just I, I was really delighted to share that. But I also take people out on bird walks and, and record that so you can come along with me and listen and hear what I'm hearing. But I also have interviews with birders. Some of them are experts. Some of them are listeners to the show that have got particular stories to tell. So, so do listen to those. And then sometimes I just tell you about the birds I'm seeing. So they're kind of like audio diaries about the birds that I've seen recently, the characteristics, the fun things they've done, the things I've noticed. So there's a variety of episodes. Um, just, you know, come along and, and listen. You can find the episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts, or you can come to casualbirder.com, which is my website, and you can see some photos there, a couple of blogs, which I'm trying to get better at writing and hear the show. But uh, yeah, do come along. Perfect. Yeah. And you do have such a beautiful voice and accent that I feel like I could just listen to it all day like I feel like that's part of the podcast to me oh, like, you really could sweet have like the grocery list podcast but <laughs> <laughs> oh but that's gonna be uh, my next one yes definitely. <laughs> yes oh thank you <laughs> that's a wrap on this week's episode I had so much fun talking to Susie and I hope you all enjoyed listening Make sure to go have a listen to Susie's show, The Casual Birder, wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll have her show linked in the show notes. And don't forget to check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye! Bye!